Good evening. How are you guys doing? This evening we continue in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 12, where we left off last week, chapter 12. We've been looking at various sayings compiled and or written by Solomon. Chapters 10 through chapter 22, verse 16, are exactly that, a collection of Proverbs. And so we're going to look at them. A lot of them are very self-explanatory. So what I'd like to do, and I did last week, is when we're teaching this section of the book, is to just go through, read them. Some of them don't really require much in the way of comments. Some I feel led to elaborate on. But for the most part, what we want to do is open our hearts to receive wisdom. Because the book of Proverbs is a book of God's wisdom. God has given to us through his word wisdom that we can apply to all areas of life. And as I've said before, these are generalizations. Don't go ahead and take this as like it's always going to happen either. These are generalizations, generally true, because that's what Proverbs are. They're sayings of wisdom that for the most part are true. That's not to say they're not true. It's just that there are situations where, you know, things don't happen the way that we would want them to happen. Uh, For example, train a child up in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Uh, That is wisdom, but still we have free will, which can override wisdom, and people choose to do foolish things. And so that's what I mean when I say that these are generalizations. When we apply wisdom, this is what we can expect to see. So we've been looking in chapters 10 all the way through, we haven't gotten there yet, chapter 15, We are seeing the godly and the wicked contrasted. We're looking at godly people, and we're looking at wicked people, and we're seeing the differences and the wisdom of God in the lives of those who are godly and the consequences of wickedness in the lives of those who are ungodly. And so last week, we looked at the things we do and the things we say in chapter 10, and then we looked at the way we treat others and how we deal with them in chapter 11. But in chapter 12 now, this evening... We're going to kind of look at the way others treat us and the way that they deal with us. And wisdom needs to be employed in dealing with others and the way they treat you and the way they deal with you. You need to be able to respond in wisdom. It isn't enough to just act in wisdom, but you have to be able to respond in wisdom when someone perhaps is foolish or does things or says things that are foolish. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 is where we'll start. And with that, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we look to you this evening in your word to glean wisdom and to understand the ways that will bring blessings into our hearts and into our lives. And so we open our hearts and our minds to your word. We know faith comes by hearing your word, and we know that your word is given to us that we might not only learn, but become more like you to your glory and for our blessing. And we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start by looking at several of the Proverbs. We'll make our way through in chapter 12. Verse 1, whoever loves discipline or instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And I like that because people will often say, well, you really shouldn't say stupid in church. But we live in New Jersey, and so I'm happy that that is in my translation. Uh, But whoever loves discipline, if you love discipline, if you love instruction, of course you love knowledge. You're not going to gain knowledge or understanding any other way. 
But notice, if you hate correction, that is, you hate instruction, it's another way of saying you hate discipline, you don't want to be corrected, you want to assume that you have it right, well, you're stupid or ignorant. And that's what we see in our world today, a great deal of ignorance because people really choose to believe whatever they want to believe. It it doesn't matter what the facts say anymore. People just believe whatever they want. In verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord. But the Lord condemns a crafty man. So you have the contrast there. Poetically, you have contrast a good man and a crafty man. And of course, the good man is blessed by God. The crafty man is condemned by God. Because being crafty means you're looking to cheat and to deceive others. Verse 3, a man cannot be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. I like that contrast. It's saying you can't establish. Think about if you're planting something, you try to establish a plant or a tree. You're trying to establish it. Well, it's the same idea. Man cannot be established through wickedness. You'll never take root. But notice, the righteous can't be uprooted. So that shows you that a great deal of contrast exists between the wicked and the righteous. Okay, so verse 4, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. But a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. So there again, you have a very graphic description. You have this this contrast telling us that, you know, a good wife, someone who has good character, godly character, is like the crown on the head of someone. You know, his crowning glory, if you will, the husband's crown. But notice that decaying of the bones. It just eats away at you. Uh, So there's, again, a contrast between the wife of noble character and the disgraceful wife. Verse 5, the plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is is deceitful. So the just people, they plan to do good things, whereas, of course, the wicked look to deceive. The words, verse 6, the words of the wicked, excuse me, yes, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. These are some really extreme contrasts to make their poetic impact. So you have all these very uh, great extremes, and here you see it the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. That is, the person who's, who's trying to take advantage of someone else lies in wait. His, even his words look to destroy. But notice the contrast. The speech of the upright rescues them. So you have that person in danger, but the righteous rescue them through their speech. Just a great contrast between the speech or the words of the wicked and the speech of the righteous or the upright. Wicked men, in verse 7, are overthrown and are no more but the house of the righteous stands firm. We're back to that reoccurring theme of building your house on the rock or building your house on the sand, and we've seen it before, and uh, it makes its point. Verse 8, a man is praised according to his wisdom, but men with warped minds are despised. And that is exactly how people feel, righteous people especially, uh, feel about a person who is warped. That person is warped means that they can't see what's right, they can't see what's wrong. Unfortunately, I would say probably a large percentage of our culture today are exactly that warped. It makes me think, and I'm sure Anthony can appreciate this, when you go to Home Depot and you're trying to pick out uh, two-by-fours. Well, they're not really two-by-fours, but smaller than a two-by-four. But basically, they're two-by-fours, and you're looking to get studs, and you have to spend a great deal of time picking them out. Because generally, especially what's left... They're all twisted and warped. I remember one time I went there, we just went through the whole bin. I couldn't find anything that was straight. 
I feel like that sometimes. I feel like that in our world today. Everywhere I look, everybody's just kind of warped, you know? They're, 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 not, they're not looking straight ahead, you know? They're not, they're not realizing what is right and what's wrong. And it, it, you ever feel like that? Like the whole world is warped. And uh, that's what we learn here. Men with warped minds are despised. Verse 9, I like this one. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant, which would imply that you're well off, you're, you're prosperous, right? Then pretend to be somebody and have no food. Now, that really speaks a great deal to uh, appearances. People will put on airs and appearances, and it's amazing because uh, maybe nobody knows who you are. You're not famous. But when you go to the bank, there's money in there. You know, you can pay your bills. But then you have someone and everybody knows their name, right? They're all over social media. But at the end of the day, they, uh, they have nothing. They, they, what they do, they're, they're making their money on their name. And so a lot of times these people, you know, they, they try to appear wealthy. But meanwhile, they've got all this debt. You know, they, they don't really own anything. They don't really make any money. And so they have no food. So that's a real great contrast. You can't always judge a book by its cover, obviously. So in verse 10, we read, A righteous man cares for the needs of his animal. Now, of course, the animals in that time were, were, they were, they were for farming. They weren't just pets. I'm not saying there weren't pets, but most animals served a purpose. So the righteous man cares for the needs of his animal. But the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. So, you know, listen, I don't dislike animals. I'm not big on having pets in the house. That's just me, okay? But a lot of people like pets, but animals, why would you ever be cruel to an animal? And yet there are so many people that are. And notice the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. So obviously it makes sense if you're righteous, it makes sense to take care of your animals because your animals take care of you, right? And that's the idea in a farm in a farm setting or an agrarian society. Verse 11, he who works his land will have abundant food. That's pretty obvious. But he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Now listen, in the agrarian society, you know, you work your land, you eat. If you don't, well, then the winter comes, you've got nothing. But isn't it interesting today, if we use that proverb, people who work, they work hard, they have what they need. Their needs are met. But if you're chasing fantasies, you lack judgment. You don't have any wisdom. And there are lots of people that do that. They chase fantasies. Oh, yeah, perfect example. They don't bother working because they think, well, I'll just hit the lottery, you know? Like, I, I mean, there aren't a lot of people that do hit the lottery. As we've said recently in these studies, a lot of people do and doesn't make them any better off. But, you know, how are you going to succeed in life? Oh, well, um, I know a bag of money will just fall out of the sky. That's a fantasy. Or as my dad was fond of saying, money doesn't grow on trees. You know, that, that is the way a lot of people think. I think some of these young people think, oh, I'm going to have a six-figure salary. Yeah, meanwhile, they better start by finding a job, right? So chasing fantasy is never a good idea. Verse 12, the wicked desire the plunder of evil men, but the root of the righteous flourishes. So again, contrast of the wicked and the righteous, and, and, and the wicked, they always desire what someone else has, and especially those who are wicked. But righteous people are established, as we've seen already, and they do well. In verse 13, an evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. 
Now, this is interesting because it has a lot to do with what we say and how we speak to other people, right? An evil man, a person who's wicked, the more they speak, they, they sort of get themselves into trouble. They get themselves trapped in situations that they shouldn't be in because they say things they shouldn't say and do things they shouldn't do. But notice a righteous man escapes trouble because he hasn't done those things or said the things that the evil man has. Verse 14, from the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things. As surely as the work of his hands rewards him. So saying the right things, notice the fruit of the lips of a righteous person. Good things come into your life. But notice, the work of your hands are what reward you, so what you say and what you do. We're back to that theme. What you say and what you do has everything to do with wisdom and, and, and observing whether or not you have wisdom and whether or not you use it. Speaking of the fool, in verse 15, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And this is a great example of, of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Basically, what it's saying is a foolish person doesn't take advice doesn't look for advice, doesn't ask for advice, but a wise man does and listens to it, and that's why he's wise. You know, if you go through life thinking you know everything, you're a fool. But if you realize you don't, then you ask for advice, you listen to it, and then you become more intelligent, gather more knowledge, become more wise. Verse 16, notice a fool, we're talking about a fool now, shows his annoyance at once. But a prudent man overlooks an insult. Idea is if you're a foolish person and someone insults you, you react. You respond in a way that gets yourself into trouble. But notice a prudent man, he overlooks it, walks away. If somebody says something to you, especially if you happen to be traveling in an area, not such a good area. Okay, let's say you happen to be on the subway. You happen to be in an area that's you know, questionable and at a, maybe a questionable time of the day and uh, someone says something, they mock you, and you turn around and say, what'd you say? There you go. There's the fool showing you're annoyed. Whereas, what does the prudent or wise man do? He just walks away, just, just overlooks it, right? Sticks and stones, we say. May break my bones. Okay, well, verse 17. Speaking of those who, wit- or, or witnesses in court, a truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Now, that's pretty obvious, right? That says it all. But there are people that have no problem lying. I mean, we see this. Most of them seem to be in Washington. They just lie and lie and lie, and it doesn't seem to ever, even when they get caught, then the news just doesn't talk about it. It's just amazing to me what kind of world we're living in today where you can get away with lying with impunity. It just doesn't matter. No one seems to care. They give you Pinocchios. You ever hear this, you know? If you say something that isn't true, I'm not sure if it's the Washington Post. I think it's the Post, not the Times. They, they'll give you a Pinocchio. Oh, it was a one, one Pinocchio, two Pinocchios. You know, we've got a politician in the White House now who's getting four Pinocchios every other day, just lying. And I'm not picking on him. He's a liar. Clearly, it's been proven. So he lies and lies and lies. So that's a false witness. That's someone you cannot trust who lies all the time. But notice, the truthful witness gives an honest testimony. All right, so reckless words in verse 18, they pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So your words can wound or they can bring healing. You know, if someone's hurting and you go up to them and you say, hey, listen, how are you doing? You know, I just want you to know I appreciate you. I appreciate you. That's the tongue of the wise bringing healing versus 
you know what? You really are a jerk. Like saying that to someone, you know, that's piercing them with a sword. There are people who like to hurt other people's feelings. And why would you do that? Wisdom would say otherwise. Verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Now, what that means is that when people say things that are true, when they live their lives speaking the truth, their words and their testimony and their legacy lasts a very long time. People remember those things. You don't tend to quote, like a hundred years later, someone who lied or, or would tell lies. You quote the person who would say things that were very truthful. I think about Mark Twain, somebody that's quoted a lot, or even Thomas Edison, because they spoke truth. Or the book of Proverbs, Solomon, he spoke truth. But notice, a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Unfortunately, that moment's a little too long for me. I, I, don't, I would love to silence the liars in our world today much more quickly. But in the next generation, uh, we will probably try to, at least, forget many of the things that are being said today that are lies, hopefully. Verse 20, there is deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil. Well, that's obvious, right? But joy for those who promote peace. So just think about it. This proverb is telling what is in your heart. Notice, deceit is in the heart of a person who plots evil. But joy is in the heart and for those who promote peace. What do you want in your heart? Do you want deceit and wickedness in your heart? Or do you want joy? I would think most people would want joy. But the foolish person, the unwise person, they go through life telling lies, doing the things that they're doing, deceiving others, plotting evil. And so you wouldn't want to be a resident in their heart or in their mind. When we say heart, we, we mean their soul. You wouldn't want to be a resident in their soul. You, you wouldn't want to live there. But notice, joy is in the heart of those that promote peace. Verse 21, no harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. Now, this again would be a generalization because we know that many times righteous people suffer. But the idea is no harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The idea is righteous people don't tend to bring trouble into their own lives, but wicked bring, the wicked people bring a lot of trouble into their lives. A lot, like they're filled with it. And if you look at people who are living wicked lives, they're generally in trouble. There's generally trouble in their lives. Again, generalization. Verse 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. That sort of summarizes this whole section. A prudent man, in verse 23, keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurt out folly. Now, it's not as if to say, if you know something, you shouldn't share it. That, that's not what's being said here. There are things that are better left unsaid. Amen? Right? Like, think about someone comes to work and they're wearing a hideous shirt. It's just hideous. It's like, you can turn off the light because it's just so bright and hideous, you know? And if you go up to that person and you say, your shirt is absolutely hideous, that may be truthful. It's knowledge. You could share with them, but it would be prudent not to. Would you agree? That's knowledge that's better left unsaid. We call that discretion, knowing when not to say something. But notice the heart of fools blurts out folly. So the, the foolish person looks at it and says, look at that shirt. You could, you know, bring in planes on the, on the tarmac with that shirt. It's so bright, you know. If the power goes out, we're fine. You know, that would be a foolish thing to say. Okay. Verse 24, diligent hands will rule, 
but laziness ends in slavery, labor. Now there's a contrast, right? The diligent hands rule. They're, they're, they're put in positions of authority, but notice the lazy person ends up being a slave. So there you have that contrast between the diligent and the lazy, and one is in a position of authority, the other is in a position of service or slavery. And that's what happens. That's really, that's a powerful uh, verse. Verse 25, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. And this gets back to what we were talking about before, this idea that, you know, if someone has an anxious heart, if they're anxious, if they're worried, and, and you don't reach out to them with a kind word, uh, they're going to continue in their anxiety, and you can help them if you wanted to. Just cheer them up. How do you cheer? You, you show kindness. It, it, basically, the book of Proverbs tells us when we speak, we, we should speak kindly to others and patiently, deal patiently with others, and not be foolish and, and silly in the way we deal with people. That, that's, a, that's kind of the summary of all that we're talking about here, but a kind word can cheer someone up. You know, I encourage you this week, if you have an opportunity to cheer someone up, cheer them up. It's not going to cost you anything. Not at all. And many people right now, many hearts are anxious. Many people are weighed down. And we are in a position to be able to cheer them up. Verse 26, a righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, this also can be translated that a righteous man is a guide to his neighbor. The idea is that a righteous person is careful about who they become friends with. You know, they don't get involved in friendships they shouldn't. They're careful about those relationships. And they look to bless other people. But notice, the way of the wicked leads them astray. So if you look at it, and I think it's probably a better translation to say uh, that the righteous man is a guide to his neighbor because the contrast is the righteous man looks to bring his neighbor to a good place, a guide. But notice the wicked person leads him astray. And that's very true, right? Wicked people, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you should invest in this, you know, or you should buy this or you should do that. And really they're just trying to get rich off of someone. But the righteous person guides his neighbor. He's cautious in what the advice he gives and in the relationships he gets involved in. He's cautious in friendship. Okay, verse 27. The lazy man, I like this, the lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. Now that's really interesting. I'm not really entirely sure about this translation in the sense that it's probably an idiom. You know, you know when we talk about idioms, there, there are things that you say, like your hand was caught in the cookie jar. That, that's, a, that's an idiom. Does it really mean that your hand was caught in a cookie jar? No, it means you were caught doing something you shouldn't have been doing. This is probably an idiom, but it's not hard to figure out what's being said. Because someone who's lazy, he does, he does not roast his game. That is, he has nothing to eat because he hasn't worked, right? But notice a diligent man, he prizes his possessions. So the contrast is simply this. A diligent person is prosperous. A lazy person is not. We're going to see that repeated in various different ways throughout the book of Proverbs. Finally, in this chapter, in verse 28, in the, in the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality, which would be everlasting life. So life is available for those who are righteous. And that is really, again, a summary of the entire chapter. Okay, just kind of summarizing chapter 12. We looked at a lot of different Proverbs. 
This has to do, again, with the way others treat us, our interactions with others, the way we, we deal with us, but the way they deal with us. And one thing we learn from this chapter is that wisdom rewards us. It does. It rewards us. Discipline, nobility, and prudence are rewarded if you act in that way, if you utilize those, uh, those things. Discipline, nobility, and prudence, you will be rewarded. Having a good character will also reward you. Being a person of character, goodness, diligence, truthfulness, peacefulness. So that's the kind of person we're supposed to be in order to be blessed by God. And that's really the summary of the chapter. Be the kind of person that God's word says, and you'll be blessed. Okay, now we get into chapter 13. And here we're talking about the importance of discipline and instruction. We opened up by talking about a person who loves discipline, loves knowledge, but a person who hates it, you know, they're foolish, they're stupid. Here we see it broken down for us just how important discipline and instruction are. Let's start by looking in verse 1 of chapter 13. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. That's a person that just doesn't take instruction, right? Verse 2, from the fruit of his lips, a man enjoys good things, but the unfaithful have a craving for violence. So you see, there's again that contrast. You want good things in your life, or do you want violence in your life? The unfaithful have a craving for violence. That is, the things they say, how can I say this? They invite a beating. They say things that sort of promote others hitting them, because they open up their mouths and they, they, they invite that kind of violence. That's the idea, by what they say. Verse 3, he who guards his lips guards his life. That follows up on that same thought. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Verse 4, the sluggard, that very lazy person we've talked so much about. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. We're back to that idea. Work hard, you'll have your needs met. Be lazy, and you'll get nothing. Unless, of course, again, generalization, unless, of course, you're in some type of society that seems to pay people not to work. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, this is a principle, but some corrupt societies like ours don't seem to honor this wisdom. And so there are people that are incredibly lazy, that are allowed to continue to be lazy because our government gives them money even though they're lazy. So there you go. So that's not wise, but that shows you that this is, again, a generalization in a corrupt world, sometimes what should happen doesn't happen, unfortunately, as we know all too well. Verse 5, the righteous hate what is false, but the wicked bring shame and disgrace, obviously. Look, verse 6, righteousness guards the man of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. So, you, you know, if you're a righteous person, you're going to be protected, and if you're wicked, you're not. Verse 7, one man, this gets back to it, that that idea of hypocrisy that we talked about before. One man pretends to be rich, yet he has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet he has great wealth. Idea: You really can't judge a person based on their clothes or the car they drive. You know, somebody could be driving down the street in a brand new uh, Corvette, let's say. You don't know if they rented it, if they're behind on their payments, if they 
are barely struggling to pay the insurance. You don't know any. You see them, you assume they're rich, right? Oh, how, I mean, how can you afford to drive that car or an Aston Martin or something like that, right? You just assume, well, they're rich. Listen, I can tell you, absolutely. The car you drive, I mean, it's real easy to drive a very expensive car and drive yourself to the poor house. It happens all the time. And then you see somebody driving the parking lot like a car that's 15 years old, and you think, oh, that guy doesn't have any money. Yeah, he has money because he ain't spending it on the car. <laughs> so I think, I think we understand. But hypocrisy can serve many different purposes, right? For example, some try to advance their reputation by giving the impression that they're wealthy. So status symbol type stuff. We live in this house so people think highly of us, or I wear these clothes so that people will think I have money or I'm successful, or I drive this car so people will admire me. Versus, think about it, some try to protect their wealth by giving the impression that they're poor. Because, see, if you flaunt your wealth, well, then everybody thinks, well, he's wealthy, even if you don't have it. But if you go around, you kind of live in a modest way, understated, you know, if you live in my neighborhood and you have a small home, you're probably not going to get broken into. If someone's going to try to break into a house, more than likely, unless you leave the door open, more than likely it's going to be that house that looks like, wow, it's really worth risking our freedom and our lives to break into this house. You know, if, if you drive a very old car, now this, there, there may be an exception to this because they sometimes steal the old cars to use them for parts and they make more on the parts than they than they do on the new car. But generally, if someone's going to steal a car for the car, they're not going to want your 15-year-old car, right? So the idea here is you can't really just trust what you see. There may be more to the story, and hypocrisy can serve many purposes. In the case of pretending to be poor or appearing poor, at least you're protecting your wealth, right? Verse 8 of chapter 13 says, or man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. This is also an interesting tidbit of wisdom, because what it's saying here is a a man's riches may ransom his life. If he were kidnapped or taken captive and he had money, his money, he could use his money to gain his freedom with a ransom, right? That's the idea. So riches become a security to the rich. Oh, you, 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 you kidnap me and I can give you a ransom and gain my freedom. But notice, the lack of the poor protects them. Because they don't have anything. Nobody's going to kidnap them because where are they going to get the ransom from? So who's really more secure? Who's really more safe, the poor man or the rich man? That is kind of an interesting statement of wisdom because the, the rich man gets himself out with his riches. The poor man doesn't have anything, but he doesn't typically get into the same trouble that the rich man does. Very interesting thought. Verse... Nine, the light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. That's a great one, you know, says it all. Pride, in verse 10, only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Now, this is interesting, because a proud person won't take advice. They won't take correction. They won't receive discipline, instruction. So they get into an argument all the time. They're arguing, arguing their point, but notice wisdom's found... Uh, in those who take advice. So generally, I would say you'd be the person who wants to listen and take advice, especially from those who may know something. Verse 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Now, there's such truth to this. If you take some money and you put it away every week in uh, CDs or an IRA or some type of savings account, 
over time, you gain a nest egg. You really do. But there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they look for the big score. You know, like I said, the lottery uh, or something like that or, or, or stealing or, 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 or taking money. And then that, that's the dishonest money, but it dwindles away. It doesn't last. But notice the one who gathers money diligently, little by little, he makes it grow because he earns money on his money. So that's an interesting uh, proverb as well. Verse 12, this is an interesting proverb uh, that a lot of people are familiar with. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now what that is saying is if you desire something, you have hope for something. Like you may hope that our country turns around, that the economy gets better. You may hope that someone gets better who is, who is ill. Uh, you may hope uh, that you meet someone in a relationship. or a lot, You can have a lot of hope. Oh, you hope you can get that house or buy that car or, or get that job. And when you don't get it, it kind of makes your heart sick because you set your heart on those things, right? So the simple answer to that is don't set your hearts on the things of this world. That's the response to that. But it's true. Hope deferred. Hope in the things of this world deferred, that is, you don't receive them, makes the heart sick. It does. Unless, of course, you put that hope in Christ. That's different. But when we're talking about the things of this world, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But notice, a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So when those things do happen, you get that job, you have that relationship, uh, you are successful, whatever it is you're waiting for happens. It's, it's a tree of life. The tree of life is a symbol of immortality. It's a symbol of life eternal. And again, a poetic statement, but it's so true. The, the heart that sets itself on things it doesn't have. You walk around, you're just sick. But the person who gets what it is they're longing for, wow, a tree of life. And by the way, if you long for spiritual things, those are generally fulfilled in our lives in such a way that it does bring joy and life. Amen? Verse 13. He who scorns instruction will pay for it. I always like to say, you pay for an education. <laughs> but he who scorns instruction will pay for it, but he who respects a command is rewarded. So be the person that respects a command and doesn't scorn instruction. Verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Verse 15, good understanding wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. It's difficult. It doesn't endure, you might say. So good understanding is what we should look for. Being unfaithful, well, that's only going to bring a very hard life. That is unfaithful to God and unfaithful to others. Verse 16, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. So your behavior exposes you as to being wise or being foolish. Verse 17, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. So an envoy is a messenger. So the contrast here, you have a, you have a messenger and an envoy, really the same thing, right? One is wicked and one is trustworthy. So it has the idea of bringing the news or bringing news of something to another person. Back in the days of the book of Proverbs, in, in uh, ancient times, uh, news was delivered by messengers, couriers. It was delivered, and you found out things through people telling you, right? So if you have a wicked messenger, uh, he falls into trouble. That is a person who doesn't bring the truth, 
or, or doesn't bring the news or doesn't bring the things that are happening properly to public or to the public. But notice a trustworthy envoy brings healing. So what we're seeing in our media today is wicked messaging. Wicked messaging, which uh, they're falling into trouble. Sometimes they get caught lying, but a lot of times they get away with it. A wicked messenger does fall into trouble. Notice a trustworthy messenger or envoy brings healing. Boy, we need our media to bring healing to our nation. Instead, it's the enemy of the people. So that's, that's a great proverb. It really speaks volumes. Verse 18, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. That's a summary of everything we've talked about this evening. Verse 19, now remember we talked about the longing fulfilled? The longing, a longing fulfilled in verse 19, a longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but fools detest turning from evil. So you see, the soul can be so enriched when it receives good things and the things of this life, but a foolish person just continues to do foolish things, evil things, and so they're not fulfilled. They live a very empty life. Verse 20, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, of course, my grandmother had a proverb, but it's not in the Bible. She said, show me your friends, I'll tell you who you are. If you hang around with the wrong kinds of people, well, then you're going to become like those people. So companion of fools suffers harm. But notice, walking with the wise, you're going to grow wise. So spend time with people who are wise and you'll gain in wisdom. Verse 21, misfortune pursues the sinner, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. Again, summary of everything we've been talking about. Do you want misfortune or prosperity in your life? All good reasons to look to be righteous in this world and not a sinner. Verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Now you have a great contrast here. You have a man who leaves an inheritance, not just for his children, but for his grandchildren. That's how much he has because he's a good man. He's blessed. But a sinner, not only doesn't he leave anything for his family, his wealth ends up going to the righteous. You see, he loses everything and more. So again, why wouldn't you want to be good and be blessed? Why would you choose to be a sinner and be cursed? Verse 23, a poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. That's really sad, right? Man has a field, he's poor. It might produce abundant food, but notice injustice sweeps it away. That so often happens in our world. There are people who are poor, and they get taken advantage of others. There's injustice in this world, and as a result, what what little they had, they they no longer have because someone took it. I feel badly, very badly, for people who live in areas where, you know, they're not safe, their possessions aren't safe. I mean, you might have someone living in the city, right, where they, they, they save their money, or probably bought it on time, they probably look to buy, let's say, uh, an iPhone or a cell phone of some sort, and they're not cheap, right, a couple hundred dollars at least, sometimes close to a thousand, depending on what model you get, right, and they're walking home and someone mugs them and takes it from them, and it's just so sad. It's, it, it, we see this all the time. There's so much injustice in our world, and the poor suffer greater injustices than those who are wealthy. In, in a backhanded way, this would say, don't be poor. And we already know how not to be poor, and that is to work hard. But still, it's sad, and it really is true. 
Verse 24, this is a good one, parents. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, let me explain. The rod is not a whip. The rod is not a baseball bat. The rod is a means of correction to a child that doesn't inflict any permanent harm. But it stings. Okay, you might call it a switch. We used to call it the Board of Education. Remember the Board of Education? It used to hang up, right? They had these little dogs, and then the board was there, and somebody was in the doghouse, and then they had the Board of Education. What's that for? You want to find out? Keep it up. You know, sometimes the threat was enough. The Board of Education, I like that. But if you spare the rod, if you don't discipline your children, and listen, at a young age, discipline may have to be physical. When you get to a certain age, it, it's, it's probably not useful to go that direction. But still, discipline is, is vitally important to raising your children. And if you don't believe that, spend an afternoon around a child whose parents do not discipline them, and you'll change your tune. So... Verse 25, the righteous eat to their heart's content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. So a lot of what we talked about is, you know, the righteous have all their needs met and the wicked don't. Bad things happen to the wicked, right? Good things happen to the righteous. Generally true. And that is what we're talking about in this section. The godly and the wicked contrasted. A lot of various different ways to say kind of the same thing in most cases. But in summary... Wisdom comes to us, and it comes to us through instruction and discipline. It does. Us receiving instruction and exercising discipline. Blessing comes to us through speaking wisely and watching our words, not inviting disaster by our words. And prosperity comes to us through being diligent and righteous. So all of this, very simple exhortation, but I think it can be very helpful in making the decisions we make and doing the things we do and choose to do. The book of Proverbs is God's wisdom, collected and written by Solomon, and uh, we'll pick it up there uh, in our next study, and we'll, we'll go through chapters 14 and 15, but that's enough wisdom for tonight, enough to digest. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom. We thank you, God, for instructing us that we might be blessed. It is clearly your desire that we be blessed. So you give to us your wisdom that we might not only listen, but put it into practice and be blessed all the days of our lives. Have all of our needs met, not suffer harm or sickness unnecessarily. And yet so many people we know are suffering simply because they shun discipline and wisdom and instruction. And they refuse. They refuse it. Oh, Lord God, help us to be those people who listen and who act wisely, that we might be blessed. And may the most important thing we respond to be the wisdom that you have shared with us in the Gospels. The wisdom that tells us that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf and that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And so wisdom would tell us that if he did that for us, we need to respond to that. To as many as received them, to those that believed on his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Lord God, help us to respond to the gospel message. That is the wisest thing we can do. That we might be spared an eternity apart from you. That we might be truly saved 
they may, we might be truly blessed, not just in this life, but in the next for all eternity. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.